Today we are talking with Lisanne Maatman and Dumkie de Wilde from Debt Agency about testing in a post-cookie world. Lisanne is team lead for the Insights team, which covers both Zero and Web Analytics, and Dumkie is a senior technical analyst with a background in philosophy. My name is Guido Janssen and welcome to Zero Cafe, the award-winning podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. In case you missed it, in the previous English episode, we spoke with Elisa Mail about the six soft skills that you as a Zero need to master. You can listen to that episode on Zero Cafe website or in the podcast app that you're listening with right now. Now, before we start, you just heard me saying something about award-winning podcast. Uh, last week was the first edition of the Experimentation Culture Awards, and I'm honored to have been announced as the winner for the individual category for evangelizing Zero in general and Zero Culture in particular with the Zero Cafe podcast. I was already surprised to be nominated, to be honest, uh, for the top five, so you can imagine my surprise when they announced me actually winning the award. So a big thank you goes out to the organization and the jury of the awards. I'm honored to be able to reach so many people in our industry each week through this podcast. And I love how it not only shows the big awesome things that we all do, but also gives a voice to the more introverted people and the mundane stories of everyday zero. The depth of knowledge and the amazing stories of all my guests keep surprising me. And not infrequently, these are stories from people that don't necessarily want to go on stage or write a long blog post or record a video of themselves. But they are comfortable with doing it in just a normal one-on-one conversation uh, with a fellow Zero practitioner who knows about the struggles and just happens to have a big record button and a microphone. And they are able to share this with, with us all and spread their knowledge for us all to enjoy. So despite this being an individual award, I really feel that we won. This is a testament to the openness of all my guests in the past two years that often for the first time share their story with the world. It's been my honor to be your host and I will definitely continue doing so, but it's the stories of my guests that make the podcast. And this is also for you as a listener of the podcast. You always want to know more. You want to keep learning and you're open to change, changing your mind, changing your way of working. And I love that um, that you help keeping uh, keeping me growing this community. Thank you all for that. Now let's get started with this episode of Zero Cafe, which again is made possible by our partners, Online Dialogue, Sidespect, Online Influence Institute, Content Square, and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 39. Lisanne and Dumke, welcome to the Zero Cafe. And of course, we'd like to start with getting to know you guys a bit better. So let's start with uh, Lisanne. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about what you do at Depth? Uh, yeah, so I am the uh, team lead of the Insights team at Depth, and um, that is the team that do- does both Shiro but also a lot of web analysis. And uh, mm-hmm. together with my colleagues, I work for pretty wide variety of clients, so a lot of B2C, uh, really e-commerce platforms, uh, but also more traditional B2B, so and everything uh, in between. Okay. So that's yeah, what I do. Is there a specific niche that is aiming for, or like I said, you have a very broad range of clients, but is yeah. there a specific niche or some, something you end up with having as a client? <laughs> no, not not really. I think um, uh, I think the, pre- the cool thing of working, especially in a zero team like that, is that we have this wide variety. So uh, my typical day 
is consists out of uh, doing very B2C focused clients first, and then I'll move over to something very specific B2B with like a very long customer journey or very complex uh, services or, or uh, products. So I think that makes it cool to work there as well, um, to have that variety in your work. Okay. And then uh, Dimki, technical analyst, does that mean you have to fix all the mess uh, that, uh, that the clients made? Or Yeah, it's definitely, um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting though, because I tend to look at my job as, uh, on the one hand, very technical. So, uh, you know, it's, it's analytics implementations, tracking implementations, tech management, connecting data sources, that kind of stuff. But usually what you end up talking about with clients is, okay, how are we going to make this actually work within your organization, build a process around it, have the proper governance, uh, who can publish what, that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's technical on one side, but uh, definitely uh, also solving a lot of, uh, uh, yeah. how do you say, like the, the challenges, the challenges <laughs> with the clients. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So what, what, would you, what do we say if you, for new clients? What, what are the most uh, common technical issues or technical things that you need to do first before you can actually start doing, for, for, before Lisanna can do her work? So it's actually um, what I see most often is just an understanding of um, what is it that we actually want to do? That what is it that we actually want to measure that we want to experiment with? So really getting that down and getting sort of all stakeholders aligned within an organization to say, okay, this is our goal um, this is the goal that we can agree, ag agree upon together and then start building out the solutions and picking the right tools for the job and the right budget for that. That's really uh, one of the most common challenges in terms of organization. Uh, in terms of practical challenges, I would say just getting rid of all the legacy uh, that's usually, especially if you look in, in um, tag management containers, for example, uh, you will find like 200 different tags and um, uh, like 150 of them are not used or not like put in optimally. Uh, so they'll just, you know, they, it's an interesting test. I, I did this at a, a client once where uh, we just removed 150 of these tags and then looked at the, the difference in speed uh, for the actual end user. Um, and we shaved off about like three to four seconds. So that, that, that was an interesting test nice. in and of itself. <laughs> that's a relatively easy fix. Yeah. That's, that's nice. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, yeah, of course, uh, when we talk about, uh, zero and, um, and, and technical side of things, there are quite, uh, quite some things happening, uh, last couple of, uh, months, uh, last couple of years is the, the move away from, from using cookies for this. Um, so, Lisanne, how is this impacting basically your, your whole work? Yeah, it does quite a lot, actually. Can, can you still do your work? Um, the thing is, this is a very tricky thing, I guess. So, uh, you can do your work and you can, can look at the data, you can run your A-B test and not notice there's anything going on, right? So, uh, you if you would not know that there is an issue with cookies, you would just go on, make your analysis and uh, think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you're looking partly at, uh, uh, well, invalid data. So, um, yes, you can still do your work, but at this point, without having uh, the proper solutions in place, it does take a lot of um, uh, fixes to get the right data um, 
um, yeah, to get the right data in place. So one thing is, for example, in our analysis, we always look at uh, what the uh, number of session is, sessions are that people have to have before they convert or yeah. the number of days before people convert. Obviously, when you look at those type of uh, reports nowadays, those yeah will consist out of invalid data. Um, and again, that depends a bit upon your client. As I mentioned, we have a pretty wide variety of clients and what I see in traditional uh, business to business um, that there's a complete different set of browsers that are being used. A lot of Chrome, for example, where this issue isn't uh, taking place just yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also uh, have clients that sell, for example, Apple accessories. So obviously you have a lot of Safari traffic there. Um, and especially for those clients, we see that those reports are yeah, getting missing more and more data, basically. And that's just the analysis uh, part of things. Yeah. And of course, you have your EB tests. So um, at this point, for many of my clients, I recommend to not run tests for longer uh, than a week, which means that you have very little data to work with. Um, or yeah, if you do want to expand your uh, runtime of EB test, you'd have to look at to yeah browsers like Chrome and um, more or less assume that Chrome users are also representative for uh, Safari or Mozilla Firefox users. So yeah, it does take a lot of uh, fixes and, and, and double checking things uh, to make sure that you're looking at actual valid data. Marketing budgets have suffered and the share for A-B testing has been impacted too. If you want to keep testing to enterprise standards, but save 80% on your annual contract, you can consider Convert.com. With their summer release, you can take advantage of full-stack and hybrid features, strong privacy compliance, no blink, and enterprise-grade security. Feel good about your smart business decision. Invest what you save back in your zero program. Check out www.convert.com slash 2020. And uh, Dumki, in, in case people are, are listening, I, I hope not, but uh, in case people are listening and now thinking, shit, say what? <laughs> What's happening? Uh, what is happening? Why are browsers doing this? Yeah, so it really, I think it's down to two parts. So we've seen the, the sort of a legislative part, right? We've seen the GDPR um, and the EU trying to limit the amount of tracking that's happening online. Right. So it used to be the case that it was really easy for any kind of ad platform to set a, a cookie. Um, so Facebook could, could set a cookie uh, when they're on your website. They could set a cookie on the Facebook domain. And that means that, you know, you can be tracked across all other sites that are also using uh, the Facebook library and setting cookies on the Facebook domain. Um, then we had the EU saying, okay, that's not really what we want for, for our citizens. Uh, let's do something about that. But it just went on. And I think what Apple has done and really they've been the lead on this, whether, uh, you know, because they think it's a good cause or because they think it's, it's gives them a competitive edge. We don't know. But in any case, they took up the, the support for their users and said, hey, this is not what we want for our users. We're going to protect our users from these practices um, and they started the intelligent tracking prevention. It's been going on for a few years, but in the last year, they really doubled down on it and said, this whole third-party cookie thing, we're just going to block third-party cookies altogether. Um, so no retargeting, no remarketing. Um, and also, as a sort of collateral damage, you could say um, the first-party cookies and any kind of browser storage was 
impact really. So that meant that um, the identification that you could store for a user with their either the advertisement that they clicked on, for example, but also like uh, login credentials and that kind of stuff was limited to um, one day if you were coming from an advertisement or seven days if you're coming if you're not coming from an advertisement but di directly to the site. And what you see is that this has been a really big step in um, what you can actually do in terms of attributing conversions, uh, in setting, um, you know, um, assigning experiments to users and keeping them within that same experiment. So this is what Lisanna was talking about. If you don't know that this is going on, it means that the same user can return within, say, a week or two weeks, um, and they can get assigned different experiments, right? They, they can do the be on both sides of the of the A-B test. So, yeah, Safari is taking up the, the lead to prevent their users being tracked, and you see that other browsers are following suit as well. So Mozilla Firefox, um, Microsoft Edge has been really uh, mostly blocking third-party cookies, um, and you see that slowly Chrome is also following suit. And uh, so, listen, so in, in my mind, there will be two two main ways of dealing with this. Uh, one would be uh, trying to figure out a, a way to uh, uh, to, to 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 move away from cookies but replace it with something else so we can still track users for the length that cookies uh, would give us. Or the other route would be, okay, we need to change the way we do experiments at all. So, so we need to do that within the boundaries, the new boundaries that we have. Uh, which way are we going? Oh, which way are we going? I think it's too early to really call any uh, any conclusions just yet. I mean, we see that this has been happening for especially the last couple of months and uh, a lot of solutions are being thought of, but I don't think we have a finite uh, list just yet of uh, the solutions that we have. But I think, it's I think it's important to make a distinction here. So first of all, you have the short-term tactics, right? Just things you can do more in the short term to, to deal with this situation. So those are things that, for example, uh, uh, entails server-side tagging. So uh, that is something that you can work on. But I think while uh, implementing that, you have to, at the same time have to look at uh, more of a long-term strategy because in the end you can do server-side tagging and it, of course, will fix some things, but you'll have to um, work to a more sustainable uh, solution here. And I think when we talk about a sustainable solution is really about um, yeah, building a more direct relationship basically with your visitors and with your customers. So uh, meaning acquire more first party data. And I think that's really uh, something that we should all focus on uh, is first of all, acquiring the data. So mm -hmm. um, creating more or less incentives for people to identify who they are. And that can be done via a um, login i think that makes most sense for a lot of uh, platforms but also white paper downloads or um, any other way that you can for example get an email address and uh, uh, keep on recognizing people when they come back later on so as a, as a consumer we can uh, expect more and more websites where the first page is a login login page yeah definitely and i mean you're already seeing that right i mean look at uh when you go to read something on medium.com for example they have this like hover 
over it that says, oh, you want to log in, log in with your Google account? Click here, click here. It's really easy. Um, that's really the kind of stuff that I think we'll, we'll start to see, as well as incentive-based uh, logins. So, you know, log in, uh, sign up for a newsletter to get a 10% discount, yeah. that kind of stuff. I guess consumers are getting more and more used to this a bit uh, by using more and more apps. And for most apps, you need to uh, log in anyway. Um, but yes, still can be can be annoying if you just go to a new service or for for example just want to read something on medium uh click on it on twitter go to medium and then you're forced to log in yeah definitely and i think that's also a conversation that uh we should have as uh consultants but also as a as a company um it's all about having the right kpis right so this is also i think what dunkey mentioned that um, of course, as an e-commerce platform, you want to sell things, but you also want to uh, remarket people. So the first and main objective there is, of course, to sell your products, for example, um, and uh, trying or, or persuading people to uh, get them to log in uh, really requires you to think of, hey, what added value can we offer for our clients and our visitors for them to actually give their data? So uh, I think it takes requires actually us to better think about the added value for our customers. So uh, what can we do in terms of shipment costs or in terms of uh, indeed discount, discount codes, for example? Um, so it's kind of in, instead of just using a, uh, a cookie that we can implement really easily with a snippet and just throw it out there, it kind of brings back the responsibility to us as marketeers as well to better think about what are we offering our clients and how can we ask them to give out their data. So on the one hand, respecting them as well if they decide not to do that. So not uh, uh, setting that cookie then anyways. But on the other hand, if they yeah. decide to give their data to you as a company to make sure that you really uh, add value for them. So I guess in that sense, uh, uh, online is uh, starting to look more and more like the traditional <laughs> offline marketing. That we actually need to build a relationship with our clients. Yeah, horribly. Yeah, no. Yeah, but I think so. Yeah. And I mean, that is the that is the difficult challenge, right? Because as you were saying, Isana, it's you can focus on these short term tactics and and talk about stuff like server side tagging or um, there's all these kinds of solutions that will help you extend your cookie lifetime, that kind of stuff. But it's really about getting all these people within your organization together, right? The, the marketeers, the online marketeers, offline marketeers, the designers, uh, someone with a user experience background, and start to think about what is actually the, the journey that the user goes through and how can we add value in such a way that there is a kind of exchange where, you know, they give up uh, their email address or their phone number in exchange for added value. Um, so that we are able to identify them properly across channels. Yeah. And I think we need to add a bit onto that is that traditionally we were used to look at cookies and also therefore we were used to look at a very channel specific approach, right? So uh, you'd look at your uh, your AdWords uh, ads or your Facebook ads or, or whatever. And I think now also uh, taking that first party data as a starting point requires you to really look from the customer point of view. So looking at that uh, journey and their touch points and shifting that focus from a more channel approach or a um, platform approach to really the journey and how you can help them at every specific point 
to um, to get the information that they're looking for or find the product that they need. So it's really sh- about shifting that focus. And I think in that sense, also an opportunity for us as marketeers to really do a better job as well as well as a challenge because i mean how are you gonna how are you gonna test this right how are you gonna test it across all these channels and make sure that someone stays within the same experiment for example that's i think that's going to be really difficult so hopefully they're logged in (laughs) yeah (laughs) would make our lives very much easier yeah For over 10 years now, online dialogue advises about evidence-based conversion optimization with a focus on data and psychology. We see that analyzing data and recognizing customer behavior results in a better online dialogue with your clients and a higher ROI. The team of strategists, analysts, psychologists and UX specialists gathers valuable insights in the online behavior of your visitors and together with you they optimize the different elements of your CRO program through redesign, expert reviews, A-B tests and behavioral analysis. For more information about their services, go to onlinedialogue.com. For the people listening to this and and maybe you have a lot of uh, tools they're using right now, uh, for example, like, like Holdjar, um, that we just mentioned. So is, is that, can we just throw them all away or uh, is there still a use case to 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 keep using those tools or do we need to look for alternatives, server-side alternatives? No, I think it's still very, especially tools like Hotjar, they're still very much interesting to use. So I think we need to make a distinction here between analytical tools such as Hotjar, mm-hmm. where you want your heat maps and your user recordings and they're all pretty much session-based or even page-based so there, it doesn't really matter that you're not able to recognize users after a week again, um, especially for those analytical purposes. Yeah. However, I think every time you want to start doing a personalization in Google Optimize, for example, or run an A-B test in uh, Visual Website Optimizer, that's where uh, your alarm bells or alarm bella uh, should go off. Because yeah. there, indeed, you will have an issue recognizing Safari users or Firefox users after a week. So you don't have to throw them out. You just have to, for now, as long as you don't have any uh, solutions in place, take into consideration that you're no longer able to recognize them. And at the meantime, also work on um, uh, some fixes, for example, like uh, server-side tagging or resetting the cookie server-side. So, and, and you already mentioned, if, if you don't know, uh, that this is an issue to begin with, uh, you might not notice this. You, maybe you notice uh, uh, that specific segments like like Safari are are becoming less and less prevalent in your analytics, uh, so less and less uh, users. Um, but it might not be uh, obviously uh, quite obvious uh, why this is happening. So is is there a way to figure out how much of your traffic is affected by this? Yeah, definitely. So it, it, there is. I, I feel a buzz coming up. <laughs> there is buzz. Take it away, uh, Dimki. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what's interesting is before we start to think about like what's actually impacted, just think about the. The, the things that you as a user can do and how that potentially can impact the way your analytics tool or, or CRO tool is tracking you. So we're not coming from an ideal world either, right? Because it's it's not just about these cookies. It's about, um, uh, think about you're opening an email on your phone in say the Gmail app. That opens, if you click a link on that, it opens in a browser within the Gmail app. Then you're like, hey, I don't want to open this in the Gmail app because I'm not logged in here. So I click on the Safari uh, button, for example, and I go to the Safari app and there I'm currently logged in. So those already are two different 
users that you're tracking, two different sessions that have started, and it's actually the same user that you're tracking. And then on top of that, because you're going to that Safari app, um, you're you're storing the the cookie there for seven days. So you know if I return after seven days following that same link, um, I'm again a new user, and that's sort of the 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 things that we need to think about. We need to think about actual human behavior and what does it look like and how is it going to impact our tracking and our analytics. So when you consider that, then you need to think about, okay, um, what's going to be the actual impact on my users? And you then really need to look at session-based information because that's all you have. So you can look at, you know, how many Safari users do I have? How many uh, Firefox users do I have? Um, and I've seen these tools where, you know, people have been looking at, oh, these many people are, are still using an older Safari browser, so you can track them in an older Safari browser. And I would say just assume that, you know, within the next six to 12 months, everybody's going to update or at least 90, 95% is going to update to um, a version of a browser that's that's going to limit uh, the, the tracking capabilities. Um, so, yeah, looking at that, you can really see that if you're the number of Safari users and the number of Firefox users that you're are visiting your site, uh, when it's really high, you really need to consider like the, the sort of action and implication that has for you right away. If the number of Chrome users is a little bit bigger, then you might say, oh, I have a little bit more time before, you know, over the next 12 to 18 to 24 months when Chrome starts implementing some stuff, I have a little bit more time to actually accommodate for that. So I think that's the sort of calculation that you can do. Um, and other than that, it really depends on the business. So for example, is it like, uh, is it fast moving consumer goods where people are returning um, like every month or so to buy something new? Or is it a B2B business where, you know, someone like lead times are very long. Yep. Someone might download a white paper and then, you know, they discuss it internally uh, after two months and then someone else from the company comes back uh, and they download a white paper as well. And then, you know, another two months later, they finally contact someone in the sales department and say, hey, we're actually interested in your product. That's a totally different story than, you know, when someone comes back every every month or so. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and how do you guys approach this with, with clients that where you see this problem popping up, that you see more and more um, tracking issues? Uh, I mean, like, like you said, of course, it, it wasn't the perfect world to begin with, but uh, the problems start accumulating. Uh, and maybe you need to move to to a server side uh, uh, tracking solution. So, how do you approach this? Uh, do you do you make an ROI calculation for this, or how, how does this go? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because we we haven't figured it out fully uh, either. There is you could do an ROI calculation, but there's a lot of assumptions in there. Yeah. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to think about the scale of your organization, um, the potential impact that you see and we can make a sort of you know investment about what do we think that is actually going to cost to implement something like server-side tagging um, and what you see is that actually the clients for whom this is interesting are mostly clients where uh, for example they have uh, they have a lot of 
different countries that they're serving. So their their reach is just very broad, really. So yeah. with one server-side tagging solution, they could serve all these different countries that they have. That's a really interesting use case. The other use case is where there's a lot of input, for example. So by that, I mean um, you have, say, an iOS app, you have an Android app, you have a website, maybe you have... Um, a loyalty card or whatever you have offline stores a lot of touch points yeah yeah a lot of different touch points that you can put into your server-side taking solution uh, really that makes it uh, makes it more interesting okay so so basically you're saying uh, probably the first clients to move over to this uh, are the clients that already have additional benefits uh, to using server-side even besides uh, moving to a cookless world exactly yeah okay interesting and, and are there specific verticals or, or other, is it, is it, do you see, for example, e-commerce uh, parties move in through this faster than others or? I would say so. I, uh, the clients that I've been talking with are mostly e-commerce right now. Okay. Yeah. Although there are some B2B as well. Uh, but again, it depends on the scale and the potential impact, right? So usually it's tied not only to the, because the server-side tagging is a solution for a lot of different problems uh, and it brings its own problems with it as well. So um, yes, it does help you to, for example, extend the lifetime of your cookies. Um, but what's more interesting for a lot of parties is that it allows you to um, tie a lot of information together server-side as well. So for example, for an e-commerce party, you could think of um, you have product margins on which products actually have the highest margin, right? And you definitely don't want your competitors to see those margins. But with a server-side taking solution, you could um, uh, tie the database of product margins that you have together with the incoming stream of user event data and then say, hey, when the product margin is a certain level, I want to send a conversion to this platform or I want to do something different with this user, give them a certain property, put them in a certain experiment bucket, that kind of stuff. So it does open up a lot of new, uh, potentially interesting ways of connecting user data with uh, business data. So Lisanne, do you see uh, a whole new range of experiments opening up now that you can do more and more server-side uh, testing? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest things is that what Dumki pointed out is that the situation that we started was with wasn't ideal at, at first either. So, yeah. um, of course, you weren't able to run experiments for any longer period of time than, I'd say, three weeks max. Um, and at this point, I think uh, having the ability to reset cookies, for example, from server uh, enables you to do run tests for a longer period of time. So uh, to also for low traffic websites to do run some tests that have uh, less impact or uh, uh, less effect, uh, but still be able to um, uh, to run significant tests. So that is definitely an, uh, a possibility there. Um, yeah, so that, that really helps, yeah. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influence, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. 
Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. Do you also see downsides on service? If you compare, if you want to run any experiments and you have clients to do uh, server-side versus client-side, are there server-side limitations or does it, for example, take longer to develop those experiments? Well, there's a difference here. So uh, you don't have to run your full test server-side to be able to reset the cookie server-side. So there are examples uh, or, or there's tool, tooling in place that will reset, for example, your Visual Website Optimizer cookie or your uh, Google Optimized cookie that allows your cookie to uh, be in place for a longer period of time to not... Um, mm-hmm to expire there are toolings in place that will allow you to uh, reset that cookies server side using your client side uh, test tools so using google optimize or visual website optimizer and i think that's for a lot of our clients at least i think the more ideal situ- uh, solution in this case so okay. um, you do have the uh, easy setup the visual editor uh, uh, managing your test easily but you are able to run your test for a longer period of time. So I wouldn't necessarily move over to server-side testing right away, uh, but have that client-side test tool with uh, uh, the advantage of setting your cookie server-side. I think that will uh, help out a lot of customers. Yeah, that sounds like a nice intermediary solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so, yeah. So, Dumke, while we're talking about uh, uh, tools, are there any new tools people should be looking out for when when switching to server sites? Yeah, so, I mean, the big thing that's that's sort of provoked this discussion online, if you're, I mean, if you're in this niche, then you see a lot of buzz around this going on, um, is uh, Google Tag Manager server side, uh, which has just come out in, uh, in beta. And I think what's interesting with that is it's not necessarily something new it's just that it's it's packaged in such an easy way that it's it's become very easy for people to set up yeah um but if you're interested in that there's been quite a few tools that have been doing this for for a lot longer um tools like segment uh but also uh telium has been doing this for a while um and in terms of cro i'm not actually aware of any uh current tools on that or new tools on that yeah, th- well i think that some of the the existing tools of course are move move try to move server side and uh side spec is uh, going uh is, is, uh has always been server side so yeah okay so uh, tooling the tooling already exists mainly the the tech manager that you need to look uh look after in the first place and then uh there are intermediary solutions for for your actual testing tools so if you're already using for example uh vwo like you mentioned uh, you could still be using that. Yeah, definitely. There's no direct need to switch. Yeah. You, you asked about downsides of uh, uh, server-side tagging or resetting of cookies, and I think that's one thing that this whole thing started with uh, privacy, of course, and also transparency about the data that you're collecting. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one important downside of having uh, server-side tagging is that you'll lose that transparency, right? As Dumki mentioned, uh, when you do it uh, via yeah, traditional GTM, for example, you're able to see what everyone is collecting uh, in terms of events and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, however, if you move to a server-side uh, solution, you're no longer uh, transparent in a sense about what is the exact data that you're collecting from your users. So um, apart from well, the practical thing and, and the practical uh, implications in terms of CRO, I think there's also more of a... Um, uh, principle idea here about so 
we do want more privacy and we do want more transparency. However, the solution for this uh, trend that we see now is to move to a server-side solution that kind of loses this transparent um, way of working. So I think that is an important thing that we have to take into consideration. Yeah, and I mean, you you get totally new questions here as well, right? Because it's um, we used to not really think about ad blockers, but uh, with server-side tagging, it becomes a lot easier to circumvent ad blockers as well, for example. So the situation that you can have is that someone has opted into your, uh, your marketing cookies and that kind of stuff, but then they're still using an ad blocker. And are you going to, are you going to honor their, uh, their use of the ad blocker? Are you going to respect that? Or are you going to say, well, they opted in anyway, so I'm just going to track them? Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, it sounds very familiar to, uh, of course, when we got all the, the cookie uh, legislation. Uh, of, of course, it, it sounds nice in principle, but if everyone's doing it, then all the consumers have to click OK every website. And, and if you have 99.9% of people doing clicking OK, then it kind of defeats the point of informing people of what actually Yeah. What's yeah, actually happening? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. So, how, how, so um, um, a bit looking into the, the the future or near future at least. Uh, what do you, what, is the, what are the developments that you see in this uh, this space? And I assume let's start with more and more browsers that are that will start doing this. Yeah, I think that's indeed the the first thing that comes to mind, right? So Chrome will also uh, in the near future move to a more privacy friendly um uh setup um so i think it's it's basically about uh making sure you have that relationship with your users so that all drills down i think to acquiring that first party data uh making sure that you use those uh, accounts and self-identification to track but also to uh to personalize so i think apart from doing your a b testing i think uh, becoming more personal to your users will be an automatic extension of your A-B testing program since you now are able to recognize them better and you want to also uh, provide that personal experience throughout their uh, full journey. Um, and I think we need to become more flexible and, and kind of shift the way we think about traditional touch points like marketing channels and um, um, also measuring on platforms. So moving from that um, very much channel-focused approach in which you optimize your Facebook ads but do not look at the landing page, for example, or we optimize everything in our AdWords but uh, don't have any idea of what the messaging throughout the platform is. I think that will be the key focus for the upcoming months for uh, marketers to start understanding how they can optimize that full journey instead of just one specific part of that touch point. Yeah, in, in general, I think that's an issue with uh, with a lot of CRO programs yeah. at, co- at companies, right? That they're very yeah. focused on on the website itself, yeah. uh, but not necessarily uh, across uh, across touch points. Yeah, and what you mentioned earlier, I think uh, with Chrome, I think it was uh, in a previous episode, it was uh, Simon Hava that mentioned uh, that yeah, Chrome is their market leader, so they're probably the the last one to move. Obviously, also because it's uh, Google owned and. Um, or at least directed, and uh, it's not necessarily in their best interest uh, to move in this, this direction uh, really fast. So, Yeah, and at the same time, uh, Google, of course, has a lot of first-party data themselves, right? So they're not really losing in the sense. So uh, we're also relying more on 
platforms like Google and uh, Facebook because they do have that data. And we need them to uh, provide us with, uh, for example, uh, uh, data sets of people that are interested in a certain branch or uh, product. Yeah, I think uh, Google itself has a lot of uh, has a lot of data itself, but I think more of the users of, of their platforms like analytics or AdWords. Yeah. Uh, if Google switches off to uh, switches uh, to to all those privacy modes. All those users will <laughs> yeah. have issues, I think. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. But what's what's interesting, though, I think, is that they are preparing for that. So what you see with yeah. Google is that they um, they admit that you know uh, if they don't have consent for uh, say thirty percent or forty percent of your users, yeah. they need to be able to do something with that that big part that's unknown. So they are starting to. Uh, apply modeling and machine learning to say, hey, we've we've had historical data, we've had data maybe from different sites, uh, and we can apply that kind of data for some models to predict what these users would have done uh, if they had given consent. So that's, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, to use the data that you have and, and see if we can use machine learning to, well, maybe not know exactly, but at least have some idea, basic idea, basic understanding of uh, what we what they would have done or are they yeah exactly any other developments that we should be looking out for uh, in this area well so i think this is actually um it's sort of an indication of the complexity that's gonna only become bigger and bigger right so on the one hand it's going to be a real challenge for small businesses mostly where they just don't have the the capacity to deal with that kind of complexity they they don't have the people in-house to think about you know do i need to model for the users that don't have consented do i need to implement server-side tagging Mm -hmm. at the same time i think the companies that do have the capacity for that um and are maybe a little bit more tech oriented as well they really have an advantage to take uh, to just take leaps forward here and uh, be ahead of their competition in in that sense. I think that's yeah, yeah, and that's that's really the change that we might see in the in the next year or so, where a few companies will take that lead. And uh, I'm curious to see how how much of an impact it will uh, it will really have. Yeah, and, and hopefully, like you like you started off with, hopefully a lot of the websites that are a lot faster because they have less tags on the website. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. That would definitely be nice, upside. and more secure yeah. as well. Because that's the funny thing: like we we uh, accepted a system where, or an ecosystem where it's so acceptable to just load in all these JavaScript libraries from third-party vendors, uh, whether it's you know from a little bit more trusted vendors like Facebook and Google, or any obscure third-party advertising system that you're working with. We're just Every one of these yep. libraries is an attack vector for someone to uh, to use and exploit. Yeah, it's insane sometimes. That's why I have this uh, the extension Ghostry that you're probably uh, familiar with, and they can they can show a pop up with all the things that are loaded on a website. And some websites are just insane. Some I have a big <laughs> yeah. screen, but some sometimes my screen isn't high enough <laughs> to load all the different things that are yeah. being loaded. So that's uh, and then and then Ghostry <laughs> itself is sending data as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a fun factor, yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you so much for for enlightening us on uh, the current state of uh, the cookieless, more and more cookieless uh, world, uh, and and how we can move to a post cookie uh, world as a uh, zero specialist. Um, final question: I ask uh, almost anyone um, uh, any any books that you would like to tip to our audience, which don't necessarily have to be cookie related, but any books on 
on digital analytics or CRO uh, or experimentation uh, or in it somewhere in that area? Oof, good question. I'm not so much of reading books myself. I'm more of uh, the blogs and and like smaller updates that I kind of like. That instead worked for me. Any any blogs you recently? Uh, <laughs> Or, or or what are what are your uh, go-to blogs for information on this? Well, I, actually, maybe this is a thing for quite a long time, but I recently discovered the thinkwithgoogle.com uh, hub with a lot of knowledge there. So uh, I kind of like that. Um, and apart from that, um, let me think. We have... Let me check my inbox because there's a newsletter that I can definitely recommend for everyone. Let me see. Maybe in the meantime, uh, Dunky, you have some tips as well. I mean, you mentioned Simon Ahava. I think he just does an amazing job at documenting all this stuff. So if if people don't follow him yet, uh, follow him on um, on Twitter, on his own blog, on uh, the Measure Slack channel, for example. And he's just he's everywhere. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, he answers all your questions. It's it's insane. Um, really great guy, by the way. And I think in terms of um, uh, there's two sort of books that I really like. Um, if you're into um, more sort of data science for your for your business, there's a book called Data Science for Business. Um, I have to look up the authors. Uh, don't know it in my heart, but uh, yeah, it's a really great way to think about not only the data science part, but really the business part as well. And that's really uh, um, my main point in most of the discussions that I have with clients, it's where I tell them it's not just about the tools that you're using. It's not about the, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the stuff or the, the people you have. It's it's mostly about setting the right goals, setting the right KPIs, understanding your business, understanding the landscape. And that's really where I find um, uh, Simon Wardley and uh, Wardley Maps really interesting. He has a, a book actually on Medium uh, called uh, Wardley Mapping, and it really allows you, if you're into that kind of stuff, to think about this stuff from a business perspective um, and think about where your organization is, where you're adding value, and how you can move that into the future. Um, think about where you're adding value in the future. It's not for everyone, but if you like the the business side of stuff and uh, so data science for business uh, i think that's uh, is that the one from yeah, that's uh, the one. That's and Fawcett? Yeah. yeah and the other one um uh, the medium uh, blog we will link uh, to that one i found my newsletter by the way yeah i found it uh, it's called benedict evans newsletter so it's especially when you're interested in things like privacy um everything more from an ethical point of view and really his essays are pretty great so uh, I think it's a good read. Yeah, really great guy. We'll add that uh, to the show notes. So everyone interested in uh, in the, those um, those reads, those books, uh, definitely uh, check out the show notes uh, for links to that. Thank you so much, uh, Lisanna and uh, Dumke. Thank you uh, for for joining me on the, on the podcast. And um, uh, good luck with uh, moving clients to uh, to a post cookie uh, cookie world. Thank you. Thanks. It was a pleasure, and uh, thanks for the invite. Thank you. Bye bye. And this concludes Season 2, Episode 39 of the award-winning Zero Cafe podcast with Lisanne Maatman and Dumke de Wilder from Depth. Next Monday, in another episode, I talk with Ricardo Tahar from Flat 101 about his experience with growing a Zero uh, agency and the struggles that came with that and also the mistakes that he see many clients make when starting out with Zero. 
Talk to you then, and always be optimizing.